So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. Love from the center of you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the master. Cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch, or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Thanks be to God. Amen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and all the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and dwelt in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali. That was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. My God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Last week, I... uh, 
I came home with this beautiful new dress. And I was feeling rather pleased with myself. I showed it to Ruth. I said, look at this new dress. She wasn't too pleased. She said, you know we haven't got any money. What possessed you to buy a dress at this time of the month when we were so near the end of the month? I said, well, I saw it in the window. Um, And I thought I'd, you know, just try it on. No harm in that. Um, I wasn't really planning to buy it. When I saw myself in the mirror, and I had this devil said to me, devil's on my shoulder and said, you look so good in that. <laughs> so I had to, I had to buy it. But she said to me, well, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? <laughs> and I said, I did say get behind me, Satan. But he says, your bum looks good in that too. So I had to buy it. Anyway, I'm sorry, it's a poor joke. <laughs> but I made this point because of our tendency to project evil onto others and create scapegoats. Because it can be quite convenient and opportunistic to find evil everywhere else but in our own lives. You might remember about three months ago that I've, I sort of preached on scapegoats before and whether Jesus was our personal scapegoat or our Passover lamb. I'll forgive you if you've forgotten, because obviously, why would you listen to anything I say? But the, the idea of scapegoats is pretty much what I think this passage from Matthew is about, yet it puts it in another way. What do we do when we're tempted and fail? Do we admit it, or do we blame it on somebody else? And I think biblical temptation stories are religious stories that teach spiritual truths. I don't think they're historical reports or factual accounts. The serpent in Genesis, for example, and the devil in the temptation of Jesus personify temptation. I think this subtle evil force resides in each one of us. And in a systemic form, it it exists in large corporations and uh, and social systems. And I emphasise this because even if you happen to believe in a personal devil, these stories employ the figure of the devil as a way of talking about the universal phenomena of temptation, because we are all tempted. I find it interesting that a person who made the video we were going to watch, took the image of the devil and it looked strikingly similar to the image of Jesus. They looked very much the same. Uh, And I'm not sure whether it's on purpose. I'll have to show you the video sometimes when it does work. But I think they, they were trying to put something across. Because our capacity to do harm, to act selfishly and in our own interests and to the detriment of others, to diminish others and our own soul in the process, and to deceive others as well as ourselves. It lies within each one of us. And it exists in very subtle forms as reflected in this temptation story. Matthew says that Jesus was fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And the number is significant, as you'll think back. 
because there's an intentional connection with Israel's 40 years of testing in the wilderness, which is in Exodus and Deuteronomy 8. And actually all the three of these scriptures that Jesus references in his encounter with temptation come from Deuteronomy. Two of the passages quoted by Jesus follow immediately after the opening section of the Shema. Israel's confession of faith, where the people of God are commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And that really gets to the heart of the challenge Jesus faced and the challenge we all face who follow Jesus. Do we love God enough to do God's work God's way? The first temptation relates on the surface to a very practical matter. Jesus has been fasting and he was hungry, really hungry. Uh, The tempter seems to speak with the voice of reason, even compassion. But Jesus says we do not live at a deeper level on bread alone. We live a meaningful and a transformative spiritual life by listening to God and obeying God. In the second temptation... Jesus is tempted to jump from the pinnacle of the temple and to force a miraculous deliverance. And such a feat would win the masses, dazzle the crowds, make Jesus immensely popular. Uh, There could be no doubt if he jumped from there and was saved. But to act in such a way would bypass the ways and means of God. And I doubt if God is much interested in a faith that is based on showmanship and razzle-dazzle, thankfully for me. But to act in the the third temptation, sorry, Jesus is shown all the kingdoms of the world. The tempter offers them to Jesus if he will bow down and worship him, which amounts basically to worshipping power and control. The tempter suggests that the powerful kingdoms of the world are his, to give and sadly that seems to be the truth of it but the tempter does not respect freedom and let's be honest the temptation to seize power and exercise control is very enticing especially when we think of how much good we could do if we were the one with the power to make it so wielding the wielding of power could make radical changes for the better in the kingdoms of this world Power could be more equal and equitability, equitably distributed. To the, we can all the world's resources. That'd be great. We could ensure a fair system of laws and an enforcement of those laws. We could regulate businesses and companies, and economics and politics for the common good. So much good could become could be done if somebody like Jesus, if he had the power to make that happen, if he had all that power over us but Jesus however refuses to worship power Jesus knows the very exercise of such power has a corrupting influence and one of the things that makes temptation to power so irresistible that it offers a very easy substitute for the hard task of love it is easier to play God than it is to love God It's easier to control people than it is to love people. It's easier to own life than to love life. 
Jesus resisted and confronted the love of power with the power of love. I think it's significant that the the devil takes Jesus to a high place to expose him to the world's kingdoms because this is a position of power. But in his ministry, Jesus assumed a lowly place, a, a role of a servant and pursued a life of service to others rather than having power over others. And I, for one, know this is a challenging thing. As a minister, I am in a position of power to a certain extent. I not have loads of power, but I have some. But, um, and, and we know from the church's history that this power has not always been used well and been abused and led to the abuse of others. And this is never, never good. But anyway, as Megan's already said, And Victoria's already said, this service is about challenge and how do we challenge ourselves? And Lent is a time of testing, purposely journeying in the wilderness, a place that isn't comfortable. And it's time to take, for taking a deep, long look at ourselves, examining our own motives to check whether we are following our path or God's path. And this is one of the reasons we've rearrange the chairs today because it takes us out of our comfort zone Uh, and I'm sure as I said there's not people who won't like it but you will be uncomfortable in some way and that is the point at least I didn't make you all sit on the floor (laughs) I didn't consider that but yeah a couple of weeks ago at Ixis we've been thinking about how we can challenge ourselves and how we can grow and learn. We didn't really do it last week, so we were planning here. But over the two weeks before that, we did. And a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about the church in the 21st century. Is it fit for purpose? Or does it need to change? Just as it changed when we were thinking about Luther. Luther changed the church with his 95 Theses and birthed the Protestant church. It changed so much over the last over that 500 years, does it need to change again? Does it reach people in the 21st century? And last week, we were sort of looking at ourselves, specifically that we are reasonably similar people. We're from similar backgrounds. We think about issues in a very similar way. But in order to grow, do we need to surround ourselves with people from different cultural backgrounds? and age groups, and people who think of the world differently? Do we need to see life from a different perspective to be able to grow and change? So again, that's why you're all invited on Thursday. And actually, if we look back at our own Methodist history, and we see the Wesleys breaking out of their upper-class system, you know, the Oxbridge-educated perspectives, and taking God to those who needed them most. Needed God most, should I say. Putting bread in the blackened hands of coal miners. And seeing the, dust, the coal dust on their faces streaked with tears as God touched their lives. It wasn't done before that. God only existed in the church. They changed the world. And changed British society especially. It's often said that people called, the people called Methodists 
helped prevent a bloody revolution in Britain. Maybe if they hadn't left the security of their cosy churches, we had a, had a very different story, just like the story of France in the, around the same time. There's this American psychologist, I posted this on the St. Peter's Facebook page the other day, but it says, our finest moments are likely, most likely to occur when we are feeling deeply uncomfortable, unhappy, or unfulfilled. It is only in such moments propelled by our discomfort that we are likely to step out of our ruts and search for different ways or truer answers. And I'm taking this to heart too. And I've set myself two challenges in Lent, only two over 40 days, which is, but they're quite big, they're quite big. One that lasts every day. So I've I've decided to put a daily Lenten reflection on the St. Peter's Facebook page uh, and trying to engage more that way. And it's quite difficult every day to come up with something. But I'm doing that. It's usually something that somebody else says because they're much better than me. But I'm putting it up there and, and trying to share it so people can see that we're not dead. And the other one is I want to engage more, or I'm feeling called to engage more with other faiths in my chaplaincy work. And I'm doing okay so far. Hopefully I will keep this going through and after Lent. And this sort of brings me, or chaplaincy anyway, brings me to the passage we'll read in Romans 12. This is my favourite chapter in the Bible. It holds my favourite line as well, which is love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. We had it read at our wedding, and I feel it at work every day of my life. And I think it's also a beautiful take on chaplaincy. Maybe that's why the church sent me here. Um, Maybe so. But actually, I think, you know, there are two chaplain, official chaplains in the room, really. Sorry. (laughs) Not looking at you, no, honestly. But I believe chaplaincy is a calling for all of us. Maybe it's the word that's a bit confusing, but it's actually quite a vulnerable thing to do. And it's it's about relying on the grace of God and extending Extending that grace to other people and actually receive back that grace. This keeps multiplying and carrying on. And in my encounters with students and staff alike, I encounter this grace every day. There's something deeply sacramental about even conversations I have over everyday normal things. Just as in communion in church, we acknowledge our vulnerability with a simple sacramental act of reliving Christ's vulnerability and comfortableness. The simple act of sharing time with somebody uh, over a cup of tea and over a conversation becomes worship and people are changed and born again by the encounter in very subtle, small ways, but over time that is huge. I would go so far as to say that realising the presence of God in communion is comparable to recognising the Spirit of God in unhurried conversations over a coffee and a piece of cake, always cake. 
So my challenge to you this Lent is to become chaplains wherever you find yourselves. Be a chaplain at your school, in your university, with your, at your work, at a coffee morning, just with your friends, in the streets and the shops where we all live. And use these words as a guide. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they are down. Get along with each other. Make friends with nobodies. Bless your enemies. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. And love from the centre of who you are. Because in the centre of that love is God. Let us pray. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrived safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of a new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas, where storms will show your mastery. Where, losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope and of course love.